0: Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, the show for business owners looking to acquire, scale, or exit a business. Before we get on with today's program, we just wanted to let you know that the Buy, Grow, Sell team have been working really hard to come up with more resources that add more value to your journey. This includes a range of webinars, tools, and other events, including an online summit where we get some of the industry's leading experts to come and share their insights. If you'd like to know more, go to buygrowsell.com forward slash events. Enjoy the show. You know, when business partners fall out, things can get really messy. A small disagreement can spiral downward fast and the next thing you know, all communication is broken down the business suffers and you find yourself unbelievably stressed trying to figure out how to part ways. But it's not always about disagreements. Sometimes unexpected things happen in life like accidents, sickness or even death. There are lots of prickly situations business owners can find themselves in and frankly we've seen them all. So how do you protect yourself before things go pear shaped? Well. In this next episode, we're doing a bit of a first in that we're going to have a three-way discussion with myself, Joanna Oki from Aspect Legal, and Nick Fanto from Orbital Advice. Now, we're going to be kicking around this whole idea of how to effectively break up with your business partner. What are the key things you need to be thinking about? What are some of the protections you can put in place while you're all still friends, just in case things don't work out the way you planned? It's a bit of a different episode, but there's so much value in here that I think any business owner really needs to understand. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoy the show.
1: Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. Well, welcome on board. Of course, you're here today with um breaking up with your business partner. My name's Joanna Oki. I'm the managing director of Aspect Legal, um, and we are specialist commercial solicitors. Uh, we also have a couple of podcasts that you should check out if you haven't heard them yet. Um, the Deal Room Podcast, which is uh one of the top podcasts in Australia for SMEs, dealing with business sales and acquisitions, and Talking Law, which is all about smart legal tips for business. So you can find both of those on your favorite podcast player. Simon and Nick, throwing over to both of you.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Well, Simon Bedard, I'm the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group. So uh, we do fundamentally two things. We help business owners actually buy and sell companies. And we do this every day. So we got a very, very good understanding of what drives value in a business. And, and really the other part of our business is advisory work. You know, what's your business worth today? What is evaluation? How do you do go about that? What's your exit plan? What does that look like? How do you plan for this once in a lifetime kind of event and make
2: sure that you maximize that? So that's us, Nick. Hi guys, my name's Nick Fanto. I'm the director of Orbital Advisory. Um, I run a specialist life insurance uh, well, advice business, and we've been in operation for 12 years. We work with individuals and business owners to make sure they've got adequate risk protection strategies. And we do a lot of work around key person and buy-sell insurance, which is gonna be our big focus today um, from our angle.
0: Fantastic. And I guess anybody who's on this uh, webinar um, today, I, I imagine most of you are here, you know, with the topic of course is breaking up with your business partner and of course there other, other sort of events that sort of really circulate around that topic. But I think if you're on this call, it's because you've either been in business with somebody you're currently in business with somebody, or maybe even thinking about going into business with somebody and perhaps you've understand that, uh, that that can come with a lot of positives and a lot of strengths, but also a lot of risks. And, uh, and so I guess, you know, kicking things into, into gear here, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting topic because we all get into business for some reason, right? It's, uh, you know, some people just because they're looking to create an income, they have an area special specialty and, and they're looking to sort of be their own boss. Others get into business because they've got a grand plan to change the world. It's whatever your reason for being in business, you know, it's, it's often a deeply personal thing. Of course, we get into business with other people, and, and that can add an entirely new dynamic to things, right? Um, you might want very, very different outcomes to, to your business partner and have very different concepts on where things should end. So I guess one of the big themes that we're going to be talking today about is, is you know, exiting really on your own terms, right, and, and exiting well and, and the importance of actually having some sort of discussion and plan around that, right? Yeah, I mean, you're going to want to get something out of this journey. You put a lot of time, effort and money into it. So, we know, what is the ideal outcome? And of course, I guess th- today's topic is really addressing a lot of risk around this. And, you know, I think if you just simply define risk, it's it's the likelihood that you get an outcome different to what you're expecting, right? So, you know, you suddenly go into business with other people. Let's be honest, lots of things can happen in business, both from a personal relationship perspective, from a market perspective. I mean, we're coming out of a global pandemic. I think everybody kind of has a really good sense of what risk looks like these days, Right. But, uh, but I guess one of the big things that we see out there is, and it's, and it's quite tragic in a lot of ways, is this breakdown of business partner relationships, right? And, and, and this can happen for a whole bunch of reasons. And I guess really what we want to get to the guts today, we'll, we'll talk about some of those scenarios, about how those relationships can come apart. But really what we need to get to is how do we start to mitigate those risks so that people can protect themselves and, and ultimately get what they're looking you know, for and, and achieve the goals they want on this, this journey we call business. So now, of course, one of the big things that we, we see in terms of risk mitigation, of course, is, is actually having some form of shareholders agreement. And it's sad to say that I think probably less than 10%, um, you know, and I, I haven't done a poll of every single client, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing about less than 10% of my clients and all the people I speak to actually have a shareholders agreement. And if well, they do. Good news,
1: Simon. We are actually <laughs> going to have a poll in this webinar. So we'll be able to test that theory. But sorry, I, yeah. I completely agree with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, having actually some sort of sense around what you're doing. And, and, you know what? You know, you spoke about polls. You know, if you're thinking or you understand this simple concept that we are all going to get out of our business one day. You know, you need to start thinking about well, how much runway do you have to achieve what you, you want to do, right? So so and I think we actually have another poll question there, don't we, Joe? About, you know. We do, absolutely, absolutely we do. And shall we launch that? I think we're, you know, if you if you haven't thought about your exit, that's okay. If you've got a bit of an exit in mind, fantastic. But we've got a little poll question here just to get a bit of a sense of, you know, when you think you might want to exit your business. Mm-hmm. Um now, that might be just, um, you know, not, we're not talking about necessarily selling your company or anything like that. It's about getting out of the day-to-day, right? Not having to work in the business anymore. You might hold it as an asset. You might sell it. That's fine. We're not talking about the specific exit strategy. It's just more where do you sit with the timing and have you thought about this? Um, and so while you're doing that and looking at those questions, um, you know, as we're sort of talking about, one of the key things, I guess, that, um, that we need to be addressing in terms of risk mitigation is, is understanding, you know, A, what you want to get out of it, B, what your partner or business partners might want to get out of this, and this all speaks to exit planning, but then having some way of actually not just documenting these objectives, but having a documented means for you to actually discuss this stuff and, and perhaps resolve any potential disagreements that you might end up having around the direction of the company and, and you know, ultimately your contributions as business owners. So that's probably a good segue to hand over to Joe. I mean, Joe, you, you know, you're dealing with this stuff every day, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We are. And 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 just before I get on to that, because I'd really like to talk about some examples. I, I think it's great um, to be able to share like real life examples of what ends up on our desk as lawyers. Uh, but I just wanted to talk about this poll because it's brilliant. We've had um, almost every attendee fill that in. I can see the five of you who haven't filled it in. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But there are a couple that haven't. So, um, so make sure you get in there i'll I'll end it in a couple of minutes but it looks like here that um we have um most the highest response that's 32 percent are looking to exit their business in five years or more so um you know down the track 30 percent don't know um and i think that's super interesting that that concept that uh, at least a third of the people who are on this webinar at the moment don't know when they might exit the business. And I think that's a true representation of of business as a whole, isn't it? And and that's why we're talking about this topic today. And and it actually segues beautifully into some of the cases that I wanted to talk about, the examples that I see my desk of problems that occur day in, day out, um, that we see business owners going through. And that's that you can't necessarily always anticipate when you might want to exit and have you set yourself up in the right way to allow yourself for that exit into the future now exit can mean one of two things it can be you exiting the business or you wanting to exit one of the other shareholders which is a common thing that can happen when there's disputes between owners but also in this on this um trend that we're really seeing at the moment of this move towards getting businesses wanting employees to become shareholders as part of their talent retention strategy and their succession planning strategy and this whole idea that if you're bringing on employees um, or or, or others as minority holders, what sort of control do you have at the end of the day if it doesn't work out the way you want? Now, I I just had, I I mean, I'm I'm having discussions with business owners all the time, all the time at, at this initial stage of thinking about implementing these strategies, but also at the end when they have years ago implemented these strategies and now found out they've not implemented it correctly. Um, and what the what the common issue is um, in those sort of scenarios is, for example, an employee has been given shares or purchased shares, and then um, you know there comes a period of time where suddenly perhaps the parties work out this isn't working. And they need to be exited from the business how do you get those shares back um, and if you don't have a shareholders agreement setting them up setting that up that can be a massive issue so what that's one of the issues that i have to say we've got quite a few matters that are on our desk right at the moment um, it's a really hot topic and hot issue uh, at the moment um, another issue that we're seeing is is shareholders getting to a point where they're just not agreeing on things. You know, they get to this point where maybe things just aren't working between them and often um, there's two particular problems that come out at this phase number one it's the lack of provision in the shareholders agreement to deal with disputes so this relates to controlling decision making within the business and how that happens um, and the second component is well if you don't agree how is it that you organize exit, whether you're the party that wants to exit, or as we talked about before in the case of the employees, how do you um, exit other, um, you know, staff or shareholders or equity holders? Um, we've got, a, a you, you know, um, an example right now uh, on our desk of, um, a, of a business owner that was seeking to sell out of the business but couldn't get the agreement of one of their other shareholders. And the problem is when that happens and you haven't got a shareholder's agreement in the background to provide you with the ways to ensure that if you've got a group decision to exit or a majority decision to exit, then you're all on board to do that. Then it can be very, very difficult to get, um, you know, agreement between the parties if someone feels either a they don't want to exit and they have the power to hold up the process or b they want to i I guess create a situation that's more advantageous for themselves because they can see that they're less emotionally connected with this need to exit so they're they're hanging in for a greater payday and um you know i i don't know guys have you seen this sort of situation before
0: yeah, I mean that's interesting. I had another client as well. There were three founders, um, all equal shareholders, um, and, and interestingly, along the journey, two of the two founder, two of the founders married each other. Um, so talk about changing the dynamic, right? Right, and,
1: absolutely. You
0: know, and these are all really super smart people, and they'd done a lot of planning and prep, and they actually even had a shareholders agreement in place. But of course, the trap was that they hadn't sit, sat down and discussed what if one of us. Or more than one of us wants to actually get out and and do their own thing. And yeah. literally, as this one client said to me, he goes, I, I, I would actually have to die so that my family can extract the capital we've got tied up in this business. Yeah. He said, like, yeah. and clearly that's not an ideal solution. So, yeah, yeah. look, this
1: sort well, of stuff. Stumps- and we're definitely going to talk about
0: that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Well, well, one- I- Sorry, I was going to say one that I found really interesting, Simon, and we've spoken about this before, um, where two clients of mine, Their, their, their whole plan when they started the business was to transition it to their kids. And they were on the same page. They wanted to transition it to their kids. And one of the children ended up being unwell. He was diagnosed with cancer and he doesn't want to go into the family business. The other son wants to go into the family business but the business partner cannot stand the sun and does not want to be in business with him. So how do you communicate about that? How do you get on the same page? You know the ballpark's yeah. changed, um, and so it's not a, not much of a conversation to have. Hey, by the way, um, mate, I don't like your son. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's, it's a really important point you make, Nick, because the point is that um, putting in place things like shareholders agreements, thinking through exit, is helping you to go through checklists of asking questions that you may not otherwise ask, but that you should be asking and that you need to ask. Um, and, and and the role of a shareholders agreement, I guess, is to drive you into ask these questions. But really, it's it's to help guide it. it does many things. I don't want to oversimplify it. But in in essence, the two really important things that it does is it helps drive how decision making is going to happen in a business and, and the expectation that you have between Um, other equity holders. And secondly, how exit will occur. So um, I just, we've got another poll for you. So the first thing um, we, the poll that we're going to launch right now, launching, there we go, as we speak, um, do you have a shareholders agreement in place right now? Um, And and if you're an advisor and you don't want to answer this about your own business, then maybe reflect on how this um, might be answered from the majority of your, client base and so we've got some options there a few yeses but with caveats (laughs) about when they're reviewed because the point here is not just Um, creating a shareholders agreement and having it in place, that's, of course, a critical thing. Um, It's also about ensuring that you've actually signed it. Can I tell you the number of people that I've spoken to where they have the shareholders agreement but they've never signed it? Um, But it's also about ensuring that the shareholders agreement is reflecting where you are today in your business. And something that you signed 10 years ago isn't necessarily reflective of today. Um, So, yeah, sorry, Simon, I feel like you want to throw in there. Go for it.
0: No, but no, you're, you're spot on, right? I mean, it's, it's a living document, and if you're not if you're not reviewing it every sort of couple of years, like you know, and, and it doesn't need to be this deep dive. Review it, do a check, pass the sanity test. Yes, it's still fit for purpose, you know. And if it's and if it's not, then great, you've got the the precursor for a discussion without conflict, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, shareholders agreements are best written while you still like each other, right? Oh, so true. <laughs> and, And and especially when people start off in a business, right, there's this honeymoon phase of everyone's so excited, it's a great opportunity, everyone sees the opportunity and we're often blinded by the opportunity and we're blinded to the risks. And and so, you know, whilst everybody's hugging it out and high-fiving about this new venture, let's sit down and have a really open conversation and transparent conversation about all the various things that could go wrong. And and without it, it doesn't have to be a big negative discussion. It's just a, hey, look, you know, life happens, right? You know, nobody in uh, in December 2019 thought that we would be locked up for most of the year in 2020, right? So stuff happens. Let's just assume that stuff will continue to happen. How do we start to plan for that in the most appropriate way?
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. And thanks everyone for filling in this poll. There's just a few um, uh, responses we're waiting on. But I just want to share the results because I think it's interesting, although not at all unexpected. Um, but yeah. we have 40% who say no, they don't um, have a shareholders agreement. So that's pretty good, guys. Mm. You're, as a whole, you're probably higher than what we anecdotally see in the market. Um, 10% say yes, it's in draft, but not signed. I think that's definitely. Definitely something that we can all attest to having seen regularly. And can I just say, when clients come in and I ask them for their shareholders' agreement, if there's an issue in the business or whatever, and, and they say, it's that moment when you can see them kick themselves saying, Oh, you know, we had these discussions, we had it in draft, or we just didn't quite get there. Um, 29%, so that's a third of all respondents, have said yes. We do have one, but it hasn't been reviewed in the last two years, and and I think that's a critical reminder that you really need to be going back and ensuring that you're reviewing these things, um, and and ensuring that they're current. And um, we have twenty percent, so only twenty percent of the attendees who have one in place and have had it reviewed in the last two years. So kudos to you, well done. big claps. Well that's right. <laughs> and um, Nick, I, I really, I, I really want to. Um, you know, dive into um, some of the topics that um, you're going to talk about today. That just, I just want to leave with one, um, one thing. I, I think it's really important for you to understand that there's a number of clauses, clever clauses, within a shareholders agreement that we can add that are super useful to deal with some of the issues that we've been speaking about. There's drag along clauses. There's, you know, right to appointment to a board, which is funny because many people think they don't want to be a director, but they forget that they might want to retain a right to appointment to the board and lots of other things like this but really at the end of the day it's about number one asking the questions together um, having the discussion number two actually you know getting it in place and getting it signed but Nick what are some of the things that you see um, as issues arising in this area?
2: Sure so I guess the big thing here is everybody's focused on building a business. We're gonna build a great business and potentially you've sat down with Joe and you've got a fantastic shareholders agreement and you've got a clear vision of where you're headed but unfortunately life doesn't always go to plan um and unfortunately unforeseen circumstances arise um and I'm going to spin this in a positive light and we're going to talk about death and disablement so um essentially <laughs> spin it in a positive light yeah That's exactly we're going to talk about death work, and Nick. disablement but you know back to your point before about a shareholders agreement we're talking about planned exit planned exits you know often there's a lot there's planned exits you know where do we want the business to get to and what's the transition but not all exits are planned. And that's where I step in. And there's two things I wanna talk about today, which is key person risk and buy-sell insurance. People find this quite confusing. Um, People people often ring me up and say, hey, Nick, I wanna buy a key person policy. I wanna buy a buy-sell policy. The first thing to note is that key person and buy-sell insurance are not products. They're actually strategies. With life insurance, you've got three products. You've got life cover, You've got total permanent disablement cover, and you have trauma insurance. Key person and buy sell are essentially strategies that use those products. So if we start with key person, key person is essentially a policy that the business would own on the life of a key person. And that policy could be designed to replace a key staff member if something was to happen to them to allow the business to keep functioning. Um, It could be to repay um, debtors. It could be, you could have an investment into your business that you want to protect. Um, Often we find, um, you know, uh, if you want to take out, say, a a business loan or something like that, the um, lender will request that you have key person insurance in order for them to sign off on the loan. So you've got key person insurance, which actually protects the business. But what I think is more pertinent to this conversation around shareholders is actually buy-sell insurance. Now, a buy-sell agreement essentially sits within your shareholders agreement, and it talks about the exit of a shareholder. So in real simple terms, let's say that Simon and I have a business, and the business is worth a million dollars. What happens if Simon dies? If we don't have a shareholder's agreement, who owns the business? I'm actually now in business, the likelihood is with Simon's wife. Simon's wife's a lovely person. Simon's wife may want to sell me her share in the business and we might agree on the price. Who's to say I can actually get the finance I need? The bank's going to sit there and say, well, hang about, you want us to give you half a million, a million dollars to invest in a business that's just had a shareholder depart. Is that a good bet for us? And you're getting money at the moment's not easy. The other part of that may be that Shanti might be willing to sell the business, but she might have someone in her ear saying, you know what? It's not, it's not worth a million bucks. It's actually worth 3 million bucks. So if you wanna buy me out, I want one and a half million dollars. And then I've got to sit there and go, well, hang about. I don't believe the business is worth that. And now we've got a massive problem because that business is actually my livelihood and I want the controlling stake. This is where buy-sell insurance comes in place. In my mind, the cleanest solution would be that Simon and I have a life insurance policy and a TPD insurance policy that is spoken about within the shareholders agreement that states that if Simon dies, we've agreed to the value of the business at X and that insurance policy will pay his estate. And once his estate receives that money, we get the shares back. So essentially insurance becomes the funding mechanism of the buy-sell agreement. Um, It means we don't have to worry about... Sorry, Simon.
0: No, Nick, I was just going to ask the question. So presumably there too, it's all based on a predetermined valuation methodology,
2: right? Correct. Correct. So what we do, there's really three steps when you're looking at buy-sell insurance. First step is we need a valuation. So what we've got to do is we've got to sit down and we've got to sit down likely with your accountant and understand what is the value of this business and how have we valued that business because that sets precedent. You know, the business is worth $2 million. Obviously, most business owners are trying to drive growth within their business. So we need a baseline methodology. So every year we can review the cover and review the the, um, value of the business to make sure, because what we don't want to do is, you know, set up a policy based on a value of a business of $2 million. Then in three years time, go, it's actually now worth six. And the insurance has just bought a deceased shareholder out of the business for $1 million. So it's really important that we get a baseline valuation for the business. And it's really important that we're reviewing that every year to make mm-hmm. sure that you know the insurance mirrors the, the value of the business. That's a really important part to it. The second part of it is making sure that you have um, the shareholders agreement done properly because the insurance means nothing if you don't have the, the appropriate legals. Because essentially, if I go back to our scenario, Simon, if we don't have the legal agreement, and you've passed away, and your wife receives that insurance money without the legal agreement, she's just received that insurance money. There's no legal agreement that's actually given me the shares back, which is inevitably, inevitably what it's like. And again, you know, your estate might sit there and say, well, hang about, we've got a million bucks, but we want another million for the shares. Um, you just don't, don't know how people are gonna react in a circumstance like that. So again, for me, buy sell insurance is such a clean exit strategy. Um, we need valuations. We need legal agreements. The insurance companies have have changed. They've, they've tightened up on providing this insurance. They're going to want to see a valuation, and they're they're going to want to read your legal agreement. Um, but I think it's when we're talking about shareholders' agreement, it's a really clean exit strategy um, that just enables, you know, it's just going to basically enable the transition of shares without the need to sit down and discuss dividend payments or have arguments around what is the business actually worth? It's all predetermined. Um, So it's definitely something that anyone in partnership should consider when looking at their shareholders' agreement.
1: Well, and that rolls... Oh, sorry, Simon, I was just going to launch a poll and and then um, let's hear what you were going to add in there. We've got a poll in here. I think that that uh, links in very well to the poll here. Does intro, oh, Hold on, no, I haven't launched it. How about that? Okay, off we go. Now it's launched and um, everyone should be able to see that. We've got a bit of a delay in launching it but anyway it will pop up soon as soon as it launches i'll pop back in maybe as it's trying to launch simon how about you um you let us know what you're about to say there
0: yeah it was just a quick question i guess for nick because um you know not everybody's in business with you know, like their business partner is not necessarily an external person right like so sure. some people are shareholders with their spouse right yep. um and so you know, I see a lot of people, and the question that was asked to me recently is well, if I'm in business with my wife, then then do I really I don't really need a shareholders' agreement because we've got other things in place. And I guess just my kick to both of you as both legal and insurance experts, but you know, you might be in business with your spouse, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a some insurance there as risk mitigation, because if you're both integral to the business, you know, yeah. lots of problems can happen. But I also imagine too, Joe, from a legal perspective as well, there are control elements, right, about, well, who can make decisions and who can do what?
1: Well, you know, and, and, and I'll, I'll let Nick answer most of it because I think there's, um, you know, the, the insurance element is probably a fundamental part of your question. But just very quickly, I think it comes back to this concept of um, it's, it's that checklist, isn't it? It's that, that forcing the regime of asking the questions that you wouldn't think to ask or that maybe might be a bit uncomfortable to ask. And, you know, decision-making in close context that can be a really useful decision, you know. I mean, sorry, that can be a really useful discussion to have, super useful discussion. But also, um, I I do find that... um, so and and I think James, someone quoted uh, commented here on the chat. No shareholders agreement, but I'm so so loner currently and totally. You know, I understand that position, but sometimes people forget when that moves, when that changes, then then that's when they really need to kick in to think about some of these um, other areas. So um, so, but, but I think.
0: Yeah. yeah, and no, no, sorry, I'm cutting across you there. I was just going to say, but, and to that point, to that, to that participant there, like if you're the sole shareholder, do you have dependents? Do you have kids? Do you have an estate? Are there people who would inherit things? That business is an asset, right? Mm. So you still need to know if something happened to you, what actually happens to this asset?
2: And that's where, you know, in that circumstance that you're discussing, Simon, and even for someone who's a sole shareholder in a business, buy-sell insurance isn't appropriate. Well, it could be, but it's unlikely. It's definitely not appropriate for a um, sole shareholder. We do see some strategies where, let's use my business as an example. Um, I do see some advisors who may have an insurance business and they may have a mate down the road who has an insurance business. And they actually sit there and go, my business, in my mind, has a beneficial value of X amount of dollars, but it's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. So we do see people enter into agreements where they go, if I'm to pass away, there is an insurance policy that's going to pay out my estate, which is inev- it's effectively allowing somebody else to buy that business. It's transitioning you to another, to an- your business to another business owner, which is actually quite an interesting strategy. Um, the other thing I would say, Simon, to your point about, say, a husband and wife team is buy-sell insurance, again, may not be relevant in that um, instance, but I think key person is, and that's really dependent on what the roles of the individual are within that business. And I'll give you an example of a business, a, a construction business that I do a bit of work with. And there's two directors um, and they are, they're actually brothers, but what you've got is one guy who, he's a builder. He, he basically designs the builds, he builds the houses, he runs, he runs all, all the um, construction guys, the construction element. But then you've got the other brother who runs the business. He's like the CEO. He sits there. He does the financials. He does the pricing. He runs the back office. Now, you've got two very separate roles within that business. And this actually happened where the construction brother was unwell. He was diagnosed with cancer. And he had to take about eight to nine months off work to get better. Now, it's really hard to pitch for work when you don't have a builder, when you're in construction. So what that, they had key person insurance and they had about half a million dollars worth of cover. And what happened there was the policy paid half a million dollars to the business and that actually allowed them to pay their key staff, to basically pay their creditors, pay their rent, pay for their vehicles, et cetera, et cetera, for that eight, nine month period where they were really hamstrung until the other brother was fit to come back to work. Because what you don't wanna have happen is have this brother get unwell it needs to take eight months off work. We've spent 10 years building a great business, but now we're gonna go under because we can't actually, we can't can't work, we can't bring income in and you lose staff and you lose cars and you default and it just becomes a bit of a nightmare. So um, I think to your point, Simon, it's a matter of understanding what the outcome needs to be and then tailoring the insurance to fit the outcome that you're trying to create. Um, And every scenario is gonna be different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how are we going on the poll there
1: Joe? Yeah brilliant we've got almost everyone um, voted now now that we've finally been able to launch it um, so if you haven't voted please vote but we've got more than 50 percent of people so our, our question related to whether insurance forms are part of your business's succession uh, or exit strategy and um, more than half said no they hadn't thought about it they didn't even know this was an option yeah. so I think that's really um, really interesting. We've got five percent answering yes, but I'm not sure what we're covered for, um, yeah. and and that's fascinating as well that that you can have insurance and, and maybe not entirely understand it. And it, that's like the, a shareholders agreement as well, though, isn't it? You know, um, and maybe you can talk to that point in a, in a second. What do people get confused about? Because yeah. I think that's really important. But shareholders agreements are the same. Quite often, we'll find that they're in place when they're in place and haven't been reviewed for a while, people just don't understand what they actually say and what they're mm. meant to do. You know, it's not meant to be a piece of paper that sits at the bottom of your, um, you know, your file cabinet not reflecting where you are today. So w- w- what about you, Nick, and maybe Simon as well? What's yeah. The, what's the things that people are most confused about in this area, do you think?
2: I just think people don't understand how their insurance policies work. Um, and the differences between the policies. You know, I'll often have clients come to me because there's been a trigger event. It might be a friend has, has become unwell and it's made them go, wow, I really, need to, I really need to action something like this. And I sit down with so many people who go, yeah, I'm covered for that. And I go, oh, no, no, that's not what you're covered for. We're talking about trauma. That's TPD. They're different products. So I think people don't understand what they are covered for. The other thing that we're seeing at the moment is um, there's a lot of change There's a lot of change a lot of regulatory change in the world of insurance at the moment there's premium instability there's a lot of moving parts and i had a client only a couple of weeks ago who came to me and said nick i'm spending eight thousand dollars a year on this stuff it's just too expensive and he gave me his policy documents and i said to him well you're paying eight thousand dollars in 2016 what are you paying now he's now paying twenty eight thousand dollars for the same cover, he's just never looked at it. And I said, so if you're uncomfortable at eight grand, you're going to be really uncomfortable at $28,000. And it's just funny that, you know, when you, the main driver of a, lot of a lot of the referral work I get is people sitting there saying, I don't actually know what I've got and whether it's adequate or not. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the poll speaks to that as it also speaks to the fact that people just don't understand what is available to you and how, the insurance can actually work with your business. And if you ensure if you insure your business adequately, that actually flows into your personal insurance. So it could be that your business can maybe, um, and you know, this is obviously dependent on the structure of the business, but often the business can be funding and protecting your family um, from something happened to you, which will enable your personal spend on insurance to reduce. Um, so I think it's really important to understand how's the policy structured. Is it tax effective? We see it with buy sell agreements all the time, um, where the policies are actually structured in a way that capital gain tax capital gains tax is going to hit really really hard. Um, so there are tax there are ways that you can structure buy sell insurance where the the proceeds are tax free. That's really important because um, obviously no one here, will, I can't imagine anyone listening in on this wants to pay more tax than we we need to. So there are are strategies in which to get You can never beat the tax man, but you can certainly, you can certainly, um, you know, work as best as you can. Be smart about it. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. We've had a lot of questions that came in um, as we um, had registrations for this webinar Um, and there were some phenomenal questions actually, a whole heap of them. Uh, We've uh, we've tried to answer quite a a few of them so far, but we're just going to pull out a few uh, that we uh, think maybe haven't been answered and just run through some of those just to make sure we meet you where you are right at the moment. If you have more questions, throw them in the chat and I can see there's a few there. We'll try and get to them and all put them in the um, in the question box uh, as uh, whichever way you want to do. We're watching both the Q and A box or the chat box, but um, we we might go through a couple of the questions that were um, asked by uh, at the registration phase. So, um, Simon, what ones st- stood out in particular to
0: you? Yeah, look, and, and there was a couple of them that overlapped with a similar sort of theme. So, mm. um, but but really, I guess one of the key ones for me was a lot of people are asking you know what do i do in the beginning what's what do i how do i manage things so that we're having the right discussions or so that we're avoiding problems right and and i see, i guess this is almost even pre agreement right like let's how do we get our heads around what we're doing and and of course that led, leads to some of the other questions that are sort of all linked here but you know, a lot of people are asking, how do I keep an eye out for problems? <laughs> you yeah. know, how do we sort of spot them early and kind of nip them in the bud before they become a real problem, which, which is absolutely the right way to be thinking about these things, right? Like we, we get really clear, document it, but very much, you, as you said before, Joe, you don't just throw it in the bottom of the, uh, the drawer and go, oh, great, that's all done now. You, you need to be managing things on an ongoing basis. And look, to, to that end, um you know i'd be always advocating to people that you know if it's if it's one thing it's communication <laughs> you know <laughs> and I, and and i might sound like captain obvious here when i say stuff like that but so often people fail to have the conversations they're meant to have you know for various reasons they're a bit mm. awkward or a bit afraid of it or don't want to you know wreck the harmonious buzz that we've got in this new new venture but You know, really, that conversation up front, um, you know, is so critical. And and in a lot of ways, I think people feel vulnerable and that's why they don't want to have that conversation. But it's actually okay to sit down with people and say, hey, this is where I'm thinking, you know, what I'd like to get out of all this. And this would be a good day for me. You know, this Mm. would be a good life for me. This is, you know these sort of things wouldn't really sit well with me. How do you feel about this? Uh, You know, those kind of conversations, once again, may seem a little obvious, but they just don't happen enough. And and much better that you're having a little bit of a discussion about things early on Mm. than than having a legal battle down the track. Mm. Um, So so I think that this discussion point, and and even if you had that up front, right, life changes. So keep that Mm. channel open. And if you get a sense that your business partner's kind of moving slightly in a different direction or just things don't quite, Feel right well the time to have that conversation is now before that goes from a little crack in the wallpaper to the Grand Canyon right mm. so so communication and talking about it and and look fundamentally and I'll and I'll finish on this point and hand over but it's if you're not 100% comfortable doing that yourself um, get somebody in to help you have an external people who a person who's impartial um, somebody who can run you through a bit of a process you know th- th- this stuff is not new right There are well-beaten paths on how to handle these problems and and more so, I guess, try to set things up properly. So you don't have problems.
1: That is such a good point, Simon. Mm. I I think um, the point that you made about issues, not just appearing out of the blue is spot on. Usually it's something that is festering over a period Mm. of time. Um, And, and, you know, it's just about, it's jumping on that early. I love your idea of this, you know, this communication piece and, and, You know, there should be some regularity around it, shouldn't there? You know, we have um, annual planning days for businesses. Um, uh, You know, I I think this is something that should go in um, as one of that annual planning, uh, you know, thought processes. And I'm totally with you in the idea that people aren't necessarily good at facilitating this sort of question and answer you know thing themselves and sometimes it's a bit like you can't see the wood for the trees right um right. and and um and, and uh, tom actually has just commented i think super good um point here tom it can be having a third party involved can really help take away that emotion and mm. i that's such a good point because it's emotion often that drives issues Um, And and actually that segues with one of the questions that um, I wanted to answer about what, what do I do, how do I fix a partnership issue where we don't have this in place at the moment. And as we saw a really large res- number of our respondents, 80% of people, of you know, you who are there listening to us right now, either don't have a shareholders agreement or haven't, um, haven't discussed it in the last two years. So what if something comes up, you haven't got that covered off in your shareholders agreement? We see this day in, day out as well. You know, we've got... Um, We've got an example of this sitting on our desk right at the moment. Um, a business owner set up, uh, uh, and Andrew, set up an IT business. Um, and in setting up this business, at the time he thought, oh, there wasn't, you know, there may not be much value to it. He didn't have money to pay people to help him set up the business. So he gave equity instead so small amounts of equity minority equity we um, and you probably already know the end of this story before I get there right because it's a common scenario so anyway the we um, the business is five years old it's just been an amazing business. But it's grown incredibly and and the people that he gave equity to right in the beginning have done zip all for for this period of time in the business. The problem is he's now looking at the concept of exit and it's really tricky because he is now going to be hamstrung by them in an exit because he doesn't have a shareholder's agreement with a drag-along clause. So we were able to resolve that situation by going in and working out what is it that these minority shareholders might want where's the win for them in having a shareholders agreement in place and the win for them is having some sort of clarity about how they exit if they want to exit and so we use that as a way that we could get a shareholders in agreement in place which had a win for the minority shareholders but of course it had a really big win for our client because in that we were able to get a drag along clause in.
0: And, and just to that point quickly, Joe, while I think of it, like a, a lot of people on this call might be thinking about equity as a, an incentive motivator, right? Yeah. Um, and, and look, it's, a, it's also, a, you know, it's been around a long time as a strategy, a proven kind of methodology, but it really, it doesn't work for everybody as well. And there's, there are actually lots of alternatives to that sort of stuff, which I won't, you know, go into that in detail today, but don't feel like giving away equity is the only option for making sure you've got great people in the team who are motivated, hungry, and heading in the same direction?
2: I think, um, you know, if I think about what you guys have both said, I keep coming back to what do we need to look for as advisors? And I actually think we need to look for complacency. I really think we need to look for complacency in business owners. Um, I had a client recently who we were doing buy-sell insurance for, and we went through the shareholders agreement there was basically a transition of shares between a director who was bought out of the business about four directors ago and that their current shareholders agreement, because it hadn't been looked at, basically stated that if this shareholder over here was to pass away, the shareholder who has already been bought out of the business will actually receive the shares because they just hadn't got around to updating things. And I I just think, um, I think if anyone is, um, Listen here, thinking about what should my one takeout be, it should be get advice. Don't be mm-hmm. complacent. Ask the question. Um, because there are so many ways that you can obviously a- attack all of this. Um, yeah. my, my question that I was going to talk through was more around um, business partners being critical to driving revenue in the company and how do we operate if they get sick or injured. And I think I have spoken to this to some to some extent, but I keep coming back to what is that key person's role in the business, and if they are key to your business generating revenue, well, often they're not they're not replaceable, um, and often what you're going to need is to find someone to replace that person. And dependent on what your business looks like, it's not often easy to find the right person. It could be it could be that you need to write a check and and essentially provide someone with equity or a a sign-on bonus to get them in, where does that money come from? How do you keep paying for staff? And I do keep coming back to key person insurance being a really, really critical element of this. I won't go back over examples that we've already spoken about, but there was another question around how you can structure your buy-sell insurance. And I think this is actually quite an interesting one because a lot of people do speak to me about can super pay for it? Can the business pay for it? Who should be paying for the insurance? Should it be cross owned? Should Simon own a policy on my life and I own a policy on Simon's life? Um, And look, that that again is gonna depend on the structure of your business. And I, as an advisor would sit down with your accountant and we would build that together. But in my view, the cleanest structure is actually self ownership of these policies. That Simon owns a policy on his life. He pays for the premium. The money goes direct to his estate. I own a policy on my life that policy is paid directly to my estate. And that transaction is actually tax-free. That transaction's tax-free if it's cell phone. There is gonna be, um, and we won't go into market substitution laws and all of that. The tax man will get you at some stage, in some form. But what's really important to note for people that maybe have old insurance benefits that that have been in place for a long time, there used to be a train of thought that the business should own the policy on a buy-sell. Or it should be cross-owned, and what you need to understand is that involves a, tr- a, a um, transaction, which is going to incur capital gains tax. So if Simon owns a policy on my wife, my life, and I pass away, Simon is receiving the insurance money and effectively buying the shares off my wife, which is going to incur capital gains tax. So I think it's so really it's also important.
0: Called a motive, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's also called a motive. So I think it's really important um, that you know to answer that question that. You are getting advice around how is that insurance structured. If you do have insurance, is it structured? Is it structured effectively? Um, and you know, again, is your accountant happy with how it's structured? Because they need to make it all work if, if the rubber hits the road. That's no, it's
1: a good point. Oh, sorry, you go, Simon. Sorry,
2: um, you know, you mentioned
0: accountants there. Like, I think we've got a lot of advisors, people in professional services here on the call as well. And so, you know, I think, I think for you if, you, if you look after clients, you provide advice, you're an accountant, a lawyer, or whatever, right? If you deal with people every day, you know, just circling back on this, what to look for, right? And I loved your point, Nick, about complacency. Um, the other one is, I think, just keeping an eye out for, for those little niggles, Right. Like I've had a client, um, well, numerous clients actually that have come to me saying, um, I'm over it. I, I want to get out. Can you sell my business for me, right? You know, well, can you do a valuation? Tell us what it's worth. You know, we, we're thinking of selling. After we've actually gone through a bit of a process with them, you actually discover that it's not so much they actually want to get out. There's just some problems within their business that they're not sure how to fix. And, and invariably, I've got to say as a general rule, every business problem is generally a personal or people problem, Right business is a people function, right? So it's generally speaking, and I'm not saying it's a bad person or whatever. It's just for some reason, something, you know, business, some sort of relationship is not working. So understanding what's actually sitting behind some of these comments as an advisor and being able to probe a little bit deeper and say, hey, you know what? It sounds like maybe there's a few things here. And if you're not comfortable having that discussion with your client saying, recommending, hey, listen, maybe you should get somebody kind of external impartial who can just give context And it's not saying go and spend a lot of money on stuff either. Sometimes it's just a little bit of perspective because all of my clients I will always tell them, you actually have the answers in here. It's just about asking the right questions to get the information out in the right way to, you know, do something useful with.
2: And I think it's important that as advisors, we're working with their other advisors. I think often, um, you know, if you're an insurance advisor and someone comes to you for buy-sell insurance, you stay in your lane, you do your piece. But what I really think is important is that we get in contact with the accountant, we get in contact with the lawyer, and we actually all work together to make sure the client gets the right outcome. We all need to be rowing in the one direction, the same direction. So I think it's really important that when we have a client that needs this, we all need to be in the same room and we all need to be making sure that the insurance is structured appropriately for the accountant to get the best outcome. And that the legal agreement talks to the insurance. And if something happens, well, that money's doing what the accountant needs it to do. Like, we all need to be working together. And I think often um, where we find issues is that you've had three separate advisors who haven't actually worked together um, providing advice without taking each other's advice into consideration, and it becomes a mess.
1: Yeah, that's such a good point. That's such a good point, Nick. I, You know, I absolutely agree in the power of us, all, you know, being able to provide this sort of integrated advisory model where we've got the legals and the accounts and the, you know, the exit planning and succession planning, the insurance, all working in together and all singing from the same hymn book. And it's just, it's such a better result for clients at the end of the day. Um,
0: well- and uh, i'll oh, give sorry. you a horror story
1: there joe yeah. oh do i'd love, we love the horror
0: stories <laughs> simon don't we the, the good the bad and the ugly right because if, if you don't do that if you're not all on the same page right like and and like yourself i mean we've all seen some pretty full-on stuff out there but we had a um, a transaction going one day we were selling a business there were two business partners they hated each other hated each other with a passion and so, you know, it's actually quite hard working with people who are like that. But literally, we got to the end and we had an offer. It was a, over a four multiple. It was industry. It was amazing and oh, simply brilliant offer. But even during this little process, their relationship had deteriorated so much further that we had one owner turn around to say to us, I'm not accepting the offer because I would rather burn this place to the ground than see that person get a single dollar out of this business he needs this more than I do, and I don't really care. I'd rather burn the place down. And we sat there and went, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, that's just an example of just how nasty things can get if you just don't have this, the conversations and, and talk about this stuff up front.
1: Yeah, it's
0: such Absolutely, a good point. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and I just want to throw in, I'm going to throw in something in the chat panel here. You are talking earlier, Simon, about um, the, this this discussion um, when, when business owners might be thinking about exit, but maybe not, you know, they're not sure. Yeah. And, and as you dig, you find some other things out in terms of what they might actually be thinking, or oh, can happen the reverse way. But we talked a lot about this um, in a podcast. And I've just thrown up that podcast episode, because if you're interested, um, Simon and I talk quite a bit about that topic. So just yeah, thought I'd throw that in there.
0: Yeah, look, and I I reckon, honestly, if I I can, I'm sort of cognizant of time here, So, and maybe we've got a little time for a couple more quick questions, but, you know, if I can give one point that I would hope everyone would take away from, from, certainly from my perspective, my professional sort of perspective is, you know, none of us are born to do business. We're actually born to live our life. So your business should simply be a vehicle for helping deliver the life you want. So, you know, get... clear on what you want over here right because if you don't make decisions around the kind of life you want fundamentally life just makes decisions for you and often you end up in the wrong place you know so going through a bit of a process getting clear on what's important to you as an individual also what's important to your business partner or partners as individuals and then collectively how do you bring those together into a shared vision because even like any business strategy right it's it's you know Basically, it's 1% vision and 99% alignment. And, uh, and unless you go through something to get that alignment, it, it often just goes in directions you don't expect.
1: Such a good point. I absolutely love that, Simon. Um, and I guess like, we have time for a couple of... I'm just going to really quickly run through a couple of questions here. How effective and non-compete clauses post-exit can be very effective, but they need to be set up right because there's certainly some um, traps there. I thought it might be interesting to point to um, a comment that we've had from one of our attendees who talked about um, where they have actually had an issue where they were diagnosed with cancer and were unable to work for several months and didn't realise that they had trauma cover um, so isn't that fascinating? I've I've heard a couple of stories of people forgetting they've had cover and then and then you you know, when it came to the point of needing it, them suddenly remembering that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: you you'd be amazed. And this comes back to people not knowing what they're covered for. Um, really early on in my career, years and years ago, I had this this beautiful client, he's actually subsequently passed away, but When I sat down with him looking at his insurance, I always talk about, we always get medical information because we need to understand if the, because the insurance companies will assess you medically. So I need to understand if we're going to hit any brick walls. And in that, I said, his name was Robert. You had a brain tumor, Robert, about nine years ago, and you've got this trauma policy. Did you claim on that? And he said, what's trauma? And he actually told me that his advisor visited him in the hospital when he was unwell and i'm sitting there going you know what <laughs> what how did you not claim upon this and you know what it was a common sure benefit and common sure to their credit paid the benefit and refunded him nine years worth of premium that he shouldn't have been paying but i've had that i would say four or five times Um, where clients have had policies Um, i had it last year with a client who received a $650,000 trauma payout for heart surgery that they had that they they actually rang me because their premiums were too expensive wanting to cancel the policies Um, and we just got talking and it was actually a bit of a fluke because my dad had had the same surgery like two weeks earlier and we got talking about it and he was like oh yeah i had that about two and a half years a year and a half ago and it made me sit there and go, what well, did you claim on your trauma? So again, it comes down to probably two things, find an advisor who's actually gonna work with you proactively. Um, and when these things happen, you need to be having these conversations with your, your advisors. Um, if, it's, if it involves insurance, pick up the phone and whether that's you know, your current advisor, whether you wanna call me, you know, say to me, hey, this is what's happened, is this claimable? It's, it's a really quick and easy conversation to have. Um, But, yeah, no, I read that and that was really interesting. And it's great that it sounds like the policy did pay out.
1: Right. Well, are there any um, any last minute questions uh, for anyone? Very quickly, there's some questions about conflict between shareholders agreements and wills and what takes priority. Um, you have to understand that shareholders agreements are generally bet- well, are between um, different parties, so you and another party. And so uh, you have to be really careful about conflicts there because your contractual agreements with another party may override what you want to do personally with your estate. So it's um, uh, so you really, you need that all singing from the same hymn book. Um, we've had comments about the importance of estate planning, um, you know, with shareholders agreements working together. And I, I think that's absolutely um, a great uh, a, a great point. Are there any other last minute, very quick questions that um, either of you want to quickly turn to, Simon or Nick? Uh- or Sorry, any other last minute questions from no, our no, attendees I'm, as well? I
2: think I've, I've said everything I need to say. I think we've had enough in, had enough death and disablement for one day. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I, I, I did like your point before, Nick. Um, you know, I think if you go through something traumatic in life, whether it is, you know, accident or death or something like that to you or somebody you love, um, it's, it's not the time to, you know, be scrambling around and trying to work out what's what. And I think that's probably the benefit of, of having well frankly someone like yourself who I could just you know and and it and, and might sound like a gratuitous plug here so I apologize but Nick looks after my insurance so I've been through his experience but if something happens to me or my wife we pick up the phone and go Nick this has happened and help thank you hang up it's being taken care of right like because I'm not going to be in the state to want to you know have to deal with technicalities and things like that so and you don't want to talk to
2: insurance companies directly because you'll sit on hold for about 45 minutes. So, yeah, <laughs> come, come, we'll do that for you. <laughs> totally.
1: <laughs> well, how about we um, maybe all just share some of our um, last minute uh, couple of tips uh, to leave the audience with, if we have have not answered your question, you should have an e- email in your inbox right now. Actually, it will be there right now. If you want to, um, if you want to ask any of us questions, um, we'd love to answer those questions for you. If we haven't answered your question, um, then just pop us a note and and we'll get back to you with an answer. And and I guess for me, just um, signing off for everyone, my top tips are um, actually uh, jumping on something. Simon said earlier, which is um, get this stuff in place while you're in agreement. And if you can't, there's still ways that we can deal with it, but it's much harder. So it's much easier if you can do it while you're still in agreement. Use um, use shareholders agreements to be the element that forces you to ask those questions that you may not a- otherwise ask. Make sure you get it in place and make sure you get it reviewed. I think that's the, you, you know, if, if you meet those elements, then you'll be able to deal with decision making issues, exit, and all of those things that we've talked about today, um, you know, a lot more proactively avoiding the issues occurring in the first place, and giving you some sort of parameter to deal with these things as they pop up along the way. And and that's my uh, point, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and to dovetail into that, Joe, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of the times people don't have these discussions is because they they feel uncomfortable about personal conflict. Mm. And I think too, if you you can step back from that a little bit with business partners and say, Hey, listen, I'm actually taking off my shareholders hat here and I'm taking off my employee employee hat as a director. We, as both directors, we both have a responsibility to make decisions in the best interest of this company. And as a director, man, it's important for me to ask these questions for us to talk about this stuff, right? Because otherwise, we're we're doing a disservice to the company, and then in mm. effect, potentially the employees, our customers. Like it's 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 not necessarily me asking you. It's hey, it's we both have a responsibility to discuss it. It's just the right thing to do.
1: Mm, mm. Um, and and I guess it's about you know, don't just sit and forget as well, right? Mm,
2: totally. Totally. And I, and I think the one of your points earlier, I think it was you Simon, engage a third party, engage a third party. Um, you know, you spend your life building this business. Sometimes you, when you build it brick by brick, you can't actually see what you've built. You need someone from the outside to look within and go, they can actually see what you've built. And I think it's a great idea to get a third party that can, that's not emotionally attached, that can sit to the side and, and question you. So, um, and from an insurance perspective, know what you're covered for. Just know what know what you're paying for. Someone to put uh, put the match out before they burn the place to the ground. <laughs> 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 oh.
1: I just have one last point. And as you're leaving now, you're going to get a survey. Please, please, please fill in that survey. We really want to know what you thought about the information today, what you want to hear more about, and all of those sorts of things. So we're really interested in your thoughts. So please, just as a um, as, as a request from us to you, please fill in that survey. Really quickly, um, someone has made a comment about non-voting shares. Um, yes, can be very clever. There can be risks with that, though, um, in relation to what the, the way that they can impact concessions at sale when you're creating different types of shares so be super que- careful about how you're setting things like that up um but guys i just want to say an absolutely massive thank you um to both of you for coming on to the webinar today i hope you uh, our attendees found it useful we'd love to speak to you if um you're a business owner and and this has struck a chord with you or indeed if you're a business advisor um, and you um you, you know you're looking at ways that you can help best protect and work with your clients as they're, um, you know, considering these things in their business. So I just want to say a massive thank you to to all of you for coming along today. Any parting words, Simon or Nick,
0: before we wrap
1: it? Brilliant.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Okay.
1: Thanks, guys, and have a fabulous rest of your day. Bye.
0: The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Wherever you are on your business journey, it's worth understanding what is driving value into your business and what could be holding you back. For more information, speak to the team at Exit Advisory Group by going to exitadvisory.com.au or send an email to ask at exitadvisory.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.